than ever. This year has brought new emotion to our lives that some of us didn't even know existed. Certainly in the younger demographic could relate to that, probably more than older. But we are witnessing in our hearts a tension that has created uh, a lot of questions. And I believe that the reason this is the case is because it's addressed and brought forth our deepest of fears. And all of those fears are front and center in our life right now, if not this past year. And just like we watched in this clip to kind of set the stage this morning, I don't think we would believe either the question that is asked at the very end, do you think that Jesus will be back? Of course, we can say with confidence now what the answer is. But in that moment, do you think you would have been any different than the disciples? We would not think that Jesus was, would return. And that's why in the account of the Gospels, after the crucifixion, nobody was counting backwards, waiting for Jesus to reappear. There's no one outside the tomb because they expected Jesus to stay dead. And with his death, their hope died along with it. After Jesus was crucified, nobody believed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Truth is, there were no more Christians after the crucifixion because there was no more Christ. They all did exactly what any one of us would do, who would expect Jesus to do what all deceased people do, and that is stay dead. Even though they experienced the miraculous power of Jesus through his short time on earth, they still all doubted. Mark 16, verse 1, explains it like this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and a group of other women bought spices so that they might go re-embalm or anoint Jesus' body. The reason that they had not purchased these ointments or spices yet to this point is because these events happened so quickly. Thursday night, he was arrested. Friday morning, they wake up to find out that Jesus had been arrested. And by Friday evening, Jesus was dead and buried. The events were happening so quickly, and there was no way for any of them to catch up emotionally. And they believed, like all of his followers, that he was a teacher, even a great miracle worker from God. And they had high hopes that he was the Messiah, but clearly... They were wrong because Jesus would not allow, excuse me, because God would not allow his Messiah to be crucified. They watched him die a horrific death, and then they followed Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who paid Pilate to get Jesus' body. And they followed along in absolute shock that all of these events had taken place so quickly. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem, everybody expected him to proclaim himself as the Messiah. And now they're watching these two men embalm his body. They are all in shock and spend the next couple of nights with their heads spinning 
Can you imagine? Put yourself into that moment in your own experience. After Passover, they have to do something, so they decide to go back to the tomb. And perhaps they get back inside and spend the proper time that they need to emotionally catch up with the events of the past few days. Mark 16 explains it like this. They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And then Luke, who thoroughly investigated everyone who was a part of this entire story, said, he went inside the tomb but found it empty. And here's the thing that you need to know, all of us need to know, especially if you used to be a person that was a part of church community or someone who at a time in your life would say that you were a follower of Christ. Perhaps this is one of these few times in the year that you come to church because grandma invited you or it's what you do because it's important on the calendar. All of us can relate to this moment. Maybe part of this story you have never paid attention to in the past or even knew about is that when Jesus' closest followers peered into that empty tomb, not single, not a single one of them assumed that he was resurrected. Nobody assumed. When Mary and the group of women peeked their heads into the tomb, they assumed exactly what all of us would do and assume. They assumed that someone had stolen the body. So they ran back into the city to find the disciples, who, of course, as we know, were hiding. And here's what the, next, what the text says next in John chapter 20. They, well, who are they? We don't really know, but they say this. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. With great panic and great trial, they tried to explain this to disciples. And worse, we don't even know who they are. The disciples were so skeptical because the women were incredibly frantic and very emotional in this moment. The text then says in Luke 24, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So here is something that you may have in common with these first century friends. If you are someone that acknowledges that Jesus is an historical person, which I believe almost everyone does at this point in history, there have been times where this was tried to be disproven. But I would say in 2021, scholars, both Christian scholars and those that would not consider themselves followers of Christ, would all say that Jesus did exist. He is truly an historical figure that was on earth. Perhaps you are even convinced that he did and said some of the really great things that we read in Scripture during his time on earth that humanity should emulate and could emulate. We can learn from that. But... If you feel like the resurrection part is a bit of nonsense, well, let me just say with a smile on my face, you're in good company. Jesus, his very best of friends, felt the same way on that morning. 
it was discovered that his body had disappeared. None of them assumed resurrection. They all assumed that Jesus was dead and still dead. But Peter and John couldn't just sit there because these women were so insistent. I've been there. Peter, in Luke 24, says, He got up and he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the stripes of linen lying by themselves. And he went away. He went away not shouting, Jesus is alive. No, no. But he went away wondering to himself what had just happened over the course of the last 72 hours. Now, this is one of the most important parts in this narrative. That the men and the women who were closest to the action and the authors of the New Testament writings actually documented their skepticism and their unbelief of the very people who would be the spokesperson of this brand new movement that was right around the corner to begin. They, in fact, carried an immense amount of doubt in their hearts. We should not ever forget this, that the disciples documented their own disbelief. These were not superstitious people. They were men and women who had given up hope. There was no dream of, or movement to keep alive, no intention of championing any cause moving forward. John 20 says it like this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Think about this moment. Pilate gave them permission to take out their leader. And who do you think was next? The followers, the close followers of Christ, the fear overwhelmed these men and women in their hearts. The text then tells us that Jesus, as we know, pays them a visit. And look at their response in that moment. They were startled and frightened. Well, that's probably an understatement, but I believe... That moment is just incredible to actually think about. The emotion of death and loss and hope gone. And then all of a sudden, he appears in front of them in this house. But they thought they saw a ghost. Jesus said to them, probably with a smile on his face, I'm sure, why, oh, why are you troubled and why do Doubts rise in your mind, says Luke 24. That's not the first time that Jesus responded like this. Why do you doubt? Why are you troubled? Why are you in fear? So many times through Scripture, through the Gospels, I think about the time on the boat with the storm. Some similar narrative that Jesus probably, as I said, with a smile on his face, asking these men, Why are you afraid? Why are you troubled? What do you fear in this moment? He does nothing different after his resurrection. Jesus shows up in a room with people who had seen him crucified, who knew where his body had been placed, and who assumed that his body had been stolen. And in Luthier, were you not listening? Obviously, not really. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and in the Psalms. 
This is how they described their sacred scriptures. Remember, the Bible did not exist up to this point. The Bible was not, in fact, put together until hundreds of years later. But the writings were available. The sacred Old Testament was available to these men. All of them were looking at what this meant and how this related to them. Guys, this, is, this was talked about in sacred scripture, and I tried to connect the dots for you. It's essentially what Jesus was saying. Luke 24, verse 46, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name to all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. And then he looks them in the eye and he says something so very, very important. Something that would ultimately change their lives and generations to come. Even the fact that we are meeting today, it's this moment here. He says, and you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. They were the witnesses to the events that changed the world forever, that launched a, a global church that is thriving to this day in history. The resurrection of Jesus created Christianity and launched the church. Is there an amen out there? This is the moment. Now hear me on this next point. The church did not create the Bible and the church did not create the story of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus launched the church and created our faith. This is the moment, everyone. Before the resurrection, everybody had given up hope. Nobody was going to keep Jesus' teaching in circulation any longer. If it was possible for him to be arrested and crucified, then he was not who he said and claimed that he was. But the resurrection changed all of that. Peter, James, John, they all admitted that no one was expecting to see Jesus again. All of them expected Christ to be dead forever. Here's an important point to make at this stage. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the eyewitnesses told us so. Church, did you hear me? It's not because of that old children's story because the Bible tells us so. It was their personal story that in fact gives us confidence. Of course, the Bible shares of this story, but the Bible did not exist in its form till hundreds of years later. It was the testimony of the eyewitnesses that is so profound and so important. We believe because Matthew was an eyewitness who documented his experiences with Christ. Mark, who spent time with Peter, who got this account, and Luke came along later and thoroughly investigated these events and talked to as many eyewitnesses as possible. John put the, the accounts all together. Peter, our dear friend Peter, believed that Jesus had rose from the dead and later on writes letters to the churches to say so as much. We'll get to that in a few minutes. 
And then there's James. Dear James, stop. let's stop right here. Imagine what it would take for a little, a little brother. Who's got a, who's got a big brother in this room? Anyone? Imagine what it would take for you to declare your big brother as Lord. He was doubtful for a long time, but it wasn't until the resurrection, the eyewitness moment that he finally said, Jesus, you are Lord. And then lastly, we have the Apostle Paul, who truly believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And all through the New Testament, he shares his heart and his thoughts and his moments, his experiences with the world. It is not enough to say, I don't believe the Bible when it says that Jesus rose from the dead. I think that's a weak argument. That is not the only reason we believe that he rose from the dead. We believe because of exactly what Jesus told each of these men in his resurrected body. You will be my witnesses, and your witness to the events will be enough to take this message to every nation of the world beginning here in Jerusalem. That's such a powerful thought to think about. The eyewitness moment. They documented these events. They were copied and brought together and then distributed all over. It is why we are here today. And it is why we say that the foundation of our Christian faith is an event. And that event is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The foundation of our faith is not in a book. But it's in an extraordinary event that had profound implications. And then we now have this beautiful scripture, the word of God, to journey with, to read from, to glean from, to embrace the truth, which mercies and vision and revelation is new every morning. That gift is to all humanity. That's the Bible. And partnered with that is this event of the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, there would be no scripture in its form in the New Testament, sharing of the story of Jesus. Here's what he said to the first century Christians, and here's what he said to you and to me. Praise be to the God here in 1 Peter, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Peter believed that God was Jesus' Father. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope. Hope here is not a verb, but it's a noun. He's saying that because of what Jesus had done. We all can have hope based on what Peter, through the scripture says, well, through what? What tangible evidence do we have? Why are you so confident? Why as an older man in this stage in his life, are you willing to risk your life on all of this? Well, he says there in verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's why. Did you hear me? Through the resurrection, an eyewitness account Decades later, it's through the resurrection. This is why I'm willing to risk it all. 
Peter was, what, what was the foundation of your faith, they asked. And he would not say it was any of the parables that Jesus taught or any necessarily of the miracles that he was an eyewitness of. But he would say that his faith in Jesus was resurrected when I saw my resurrected friend. That's the moment where everything changed for Peter and for so many others. Peter says, this new life includes, in verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil or fade. I love, I love this. Who, who often gets an inheritance? It's the children. Children do. Remember, there is a relational beautiful relational factor involved by dying on the cross for us since Jesus paved the way for all of us to have relationship with a perfect father, with his son, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is our inheritance. This is the inheritance of humanity. This is an invitation to all to receive the gift that was given. Wow. But what comes next is probably the most extraordinary of all, in my opinion. In verse 4, he says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Please pay attention to this, church. The apostle Peter believed in heaven, but he didn't believe in heaven because of something he was told as a child. As a child, it was actually highly unlikely that he was taught anything about heaven because there was virtually nothing in the Jewish scriptures about heaven. In fact, there is so little teaching about it that they say half of the Jewish leaders of that time didn't even believe in a heaven. That once you died, that was it. You lived for the pleasure of God, and once life ended, that was it. This is the reality. This is the environment, the culture that these men were brought up in, specifically Peter. Peter believed in heaven because of something he saw as an adult, a resurrected Jesus who so often spoke about heaven, who spoke about eternity. This is why. In verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. This is incredible because Peter did not doubt God's love and existence because of the pain and the suffering that was around him in the world. And I'll tell you why this is. is because, because he saw Jesus suffer and he saw Jesus die and then he had coffee and probably breakfast with Jesus on the beach later on. After his resurrection, Peter's faith was not tethered to the imaginary God who does not allow bad things to happen to good people. That was not his God. That was not the God that he chose to serve. If you have lost faith in God because of the evil and the pain and the suffering in this world, I want to invite all of us to reconsider because the men and the, woman, the women who brought us to the story of Jesus, they saw 
pain and suffering even more than probably most in this room could ever imagine. And many of them experienced pain and suffering in their own lives. And yet, they still believed. And here's why. Peter saw the worst things imaginable happen to the best person he had ever known, and he still believed. That is something we all need to think about today. Because of his faith, and because of that his faith was in God, that was what introduced him to Jesus, the God who invites us to address him as Heavenly Father. It was the resurrection of Christ that completely reframed his life. The invitation on this Easter Sunday for all of us is to allow the resurrection of Jesus to reframe our lives as well. Remember, pre-resurrection, Peter ran away. Remember that? Post-resurrection, he walked towards the danger in order to give his life away. What a contrast of decision. In verse 19 of 1 Peter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Take us back to that very first day when Jesus steps on the banks of the Jordan River. There's John the Baptist, and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Nobody in that moment understood what he meant, but Peter, looking back after the crucifixion and the resurrection, says, Now we understand what John the Baptist was saying, that God sent a perfect lamb, not to just cover and atone for our sin, but to pay for our sin, so that the path would be open for all humanity to have a relationship with God our Father through his Son, Jesus. And the point of all this is simply this, that we know God is for us because Jesus died for us, not because things always work out for us. That's the whole point. Someone needs to hear that this morning. This was the power of the resurrection. They emerged with an extraordinary faith in God and Jesus because of the resurrection. The foundation of our faith is an extraordinary event with profound implications for your life, for my life, and for every life that's ever lived. It's how we know with certainty that God is a personal God, that suffering is not evidence of God's absence, and that heaven is real. It's how we know, and this one's important, that the resurrection of Jesus frees us to accept Jesus' interpretation of his own life. It allows us to accept every claim that he made about himself. Every claim when he was judged by the Pharisees. When he was put down for those moments where they called him out thinking that they would catch him in a lie. Yet even in those moments, he brought healing and miracles. 
And now that frees all of us to accept his interpretation of his own life. We can know this with certainty. The point of the crucifixion of Jesus isn't simply heaven. But it's that we know we can be forgiven and have a right standing with God because Jesus forgave sin and he punctuated his power and authority to forgive sin by rising from the dead. That's it. What a promise. What an event. What an extraordinary moment in history. This means, everyone, that forgiveness, 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 forgiveness is available to you and to me. And not only is it available to us, but partnered with that, you and I and everyone that's here today watching online that will watch later on, the story of Jesus being told all around the world, even in this moment, we are loved by God. Thank you. We are loved by God, and we are a forgiven people. That is powerful truth. And in turn, we need to love as he loves, forgive as he forgives. Jesus called this mark of the covenant, he called it the mark of the covenant, loving people that will never love us back. It's evidence that you stepped into a kingdom that is not of this world. It's evidence that makes no sense to this world. It's evidence that you have stepped into a kingdom that has chosen to give his life for his subjects. That is the evidence. A king worthy of our devotion, worthy of his name. Church, we today are celebrating an absolute gift that was given. And as I read through these thoughts this morning and share my heart with you, my prayer today is that each of us across this room, for those watching abroad, that we would stop in this moment and consider what the story of Jesus means. Consider some of the challenging things that you have embraced or accepted about why you don't believe or why you have doubts and recognize that there was a group of people that walked through so much more than we could ever experience or understand. And even in their hearts, they doubted. And even in their hearts, they had lost hope and given up on who Jesus said that he was. But it wasn't until the eyewitness moment of his resurrection that everything changed. We don't have to walk necessarily through that excruciating reality because we've been given the promise. We've been given the promise through his scriptures, but ultimately through the writings of his disciples, the eyewitness accounts of his disciples that said, this is what happened. Not one, not two, not three, not four, five, six, multiple people that has stood the test of time through the generations. These writings have been proven to be true. 
These accounts have been proven to be fact. And it's in this that we can have confidence that the Jesus that walked on this earth 2,000 years ago truly was who he says he was. And he did not stay dead, but he rose again. He did not run away, but he embraced the sin of this world. He embraced the sin of you and I on his back on the cross. I've talked about this many times, but the weight of the sin of humanity on one's physical body is something that none of us could comprehend. Scholars say that is what ultimately killed Jesus in the flesh. Yet it did not last very long because he rose from the grave. And I love this story. I love a different angle. I may be thinking about what this means for your life and for your future. As I close this morning, I'll invite Sabrina back to the stage. I invite us just into a, a posture of, of receiving. If you are here this morning and you, you know that you know that your life is, is far from, from God. You know that you have walked away from maybe some truth and, and some, some reality that you embraced so many years ago. Maybe you're here and you, you've come, as I said earlier, to honor your parents or your grandparents. But the Lord had another plan. He had a plan to capture your heart this morning. To say, remember, remember who I am. Remember the good that my character brings as a surrendering moment to, to his life. I would say, with, without any hesitation this morning, that Jesus transformed my life. He transformed me from the inside out. I am now 40 years old. I know it's hard to believe. Thank you. With my brand new white dress shirt on, I thought I had ironed it, but there's a few wrinkles in there still. Want to look fresh for Easter. I got you all back. I can truly say that God has transformed my life. Many of you in this room and those watching don't know our story. Our story is one of challenge and trial and great, great loss. Just a few years back, my wife and I lost one of our children through a tragic accident. She was one years old, 13 months. Verity, in fact, who stood up here or in the arms of my dear wife. We are just days after the amount of days that Sparrow was on this earth. This is the week when we said goodbye to Sparrow. That's how old Verity is now. So these are very real days of emotion and loss and grieving. That little life was with us and then she was gone. Many of you know our story, some of you don't. 
it almost destroyed our marriage. It almost destroyed my understanding of that, the call that God had on my life to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to be one who gives himself to a place of, 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 of care and servanthood. That's my call. And I believe I'm being obedient to that. And all of us in this room have purpose. God has called each of us to something bigger than ourselves, something that we cannot do or accomplish in its fullest capacity without, without his strength, without his supernatural strength and wisdom working in and through our lives. We can be successful in the flesh and with what culture says is success, but ultimately there's an eternal success and fulfillment that comes only through a surrender to Jesus. That is the part. We are made in the image of Christ. Therefore, if Christ is not fully alive in us, there's a void. There's something missing. And I say that not with judgment, but I say that with, with, with total and complete humility towards the fact that I am nothing without God. My marriage is now thriving because the Lord brought us through great trial. And we chose to say yes to the things that matter most. And that's not the temporary trials here on earth. That's not what made the decision for us to walk and step with the Spirit. What made that decision is the, the fact that Jesus said, was who he said he was. And he died and he was buried, but he was resurrected. And he is God and he is here and he loves us and he is here to serve all humanity for those who will say yes to his heart. It's very simple. So as I close this morning, I would ask for every eye to close, every head to bow. Let's just begin to pray across this room for everyone that's watching as well. If this is you this morning and you are saying, Pastor Tim, I get it. Man, it's been a long time, but I get it. I understand. I embrace what you're saying. That's not my words. That's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you right now. He's, there's conviction. There's, there's just this warm uh, blanket of love and embrace that's happening in this moment because that's how much he loves us. And when we turn our back on him, he doesn't just sit there and wait for us to come and return. What he does is he gets up and he pursues us wholeheartedly. And when we turn our back, he doesn't wait for us to turn around, but he runs around to the other side and looks us in the eye and says, I'm here, I love you, where are you going? That's that beautiful wrestle with the, with, with, with the Lord in our life. It's not a wrestle of, of, of guilt or a wrestle of, of shame or a wrestle of fear. It's it's a wrestle of this desire from God himself to embrace us and to hold us in his arms and to say, I love you. I have a plan for you. You are not alone on this earth, but I am with you and I will never, ever forsake you. Father, I thank you for this moment. And if that is you in this room today or watching online, it is simply this. It's a, it's a yes to Jesus. It's a, a moment where you say yes 
I am done with trying to do it on my own. I'm done with trying to figure this out by myself. I am done with trying to stir it up in my own strength any longer. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be a part of the family of God. It's that easy. If that's you today, I would say, let's pray this together. All of us in this room, can we pray together? Jesus, I recognize who you are. I see that you are God and that you love me. Today, I say yes to you. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me of the things that have distracted me. Distracted me from your presence. Today, I surrender my life to you. In your name, I pray. And we all sit together. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give God a big hand this morning. We love you. We are with you. CLA is a place that you can belong. We're figuring it out. We don't, we don't have everything perfect, but we are working towards being a place that is truly alive in Christ. We love this community. We love Glengarry, Killarney. We love this location. We love where God has put us for such a time as this. And if you want more information about CLA, go to clacalgary.com. There's a lot there. We have a wonderful app as well that can lead you to any question that you might have. And our team will be out in the lobby to answer anything that you might be wondering about. But I would just say this as we close. Happy Easter to you. Would you not leave here today if you are discouraged or overwhelmed or feeling alone? I know that it's COVID and I know that distancing is vital and we will honor that, but we would love to pray with you if that's something that, that you need. We will be here and we, you can call and set up a, an appointment with myself or one of our team. I love this team that God has given us. Who agrees? Pastor Cody, yeah. Thank you, Cody. Nama. We are so gifted. Hannah and Don help with facilities. Kristen, we have uh, this amazing group. Jill, who's our director of all business finance. There, there's amazing, amazing, amazing people. Let's thank Jer in the back for all this tech knowledge, helping us embrace this crazy world of online church. Andre, we love you. Thank you for all that you do. Melody, this team today. Weren't these guys amazing this morning? Let's all stand together. Would you go today with hope in your heart, knowing that the story of Jesus is true, the resurrected body of Christ is real, and that truth and that reality is why we are here today, and that is why we serve God, because his son died and rose again. God bless you. Happy Easter. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week, 10 a.m. Thank you.